Thanks for listening to the Big Honker Podcast. I'm Jeff Stanfield. I'm co-owner of Stanfield Hunting Outfitters with my brother Tony. We'd like to invite everybody to come out and see us in Knox City, Texas. Look us up on the internet at www.stanfieldhunting.com. We're also on Facebook, Instagram. We've got some specials on some dove hunt coming up in September. We can take care of you on a dove-hog combo. We can do a dove-pheasant combo. We can do a dove-goose combo. Anyway, if you want to kill some pheasants, you want to kill some doves, ducks, geese, deer, it doesn't matter. We can put you on anything you want to be put on. Holler us at Stanfield Hunting Outfitters. That's www.stanfieldhunting.com, 940-658-3172. And we are proud sponsors of the Big Honker Podcast. Hey, guys. Zach Shaver here, head guide for Stanfield Hunting Outfitters. If you're in the market for a duck or goose call, I recommend going down to 737 Duck Calls right now and picking you one up. I used them all last winter, and I highly recommend them. The 737 Nitro is the call to put the geese down. If you're not into goose hunting, they got duck calls too. Single reed, double reed, acrylic, wood, you name it, they got it. Get down there today and pick you one up. Look them up on Instagram at 737DuckCalls. Look on their website at www.737DuckCalls.com. Or look them up on Facebook at 737 Duck Calls. Hey, boys and girls, Andy Shaver here, and thank you so much for listening to the Big Honker Podcast. This show is brought to you by Dive Bomb Industries. Dive Bomb is the leader in silhouette manufacturing in the decoy market today. They have goose, duck, and crane silhouettes. Basically, anything, if you're hunting them, they got a decoy for you. These decoys can handle anything that you throw at them. We hunt with them seven days a week, and they handle the muck and the mud and the rain and the snow. Blake and Zach not stacking the trailer right. You know, whatever the situation is, Dive Bomb can handle it. And for listeners of this podcast, Dive Bomb is going to give you 10% off of your next purchase by using the promo code BIGHONKER at checkout. So go to DiveBombIndustries.com. Get whatever you're going to need for the upcoming season because, let's face it, it's coming and it's coming in a hurry. Get what you're going to need, fill up that shopping cart, use the promo code BIGHONKER at checkout, and you can save yourself some money. It's what we use. Get the ones with the flocked heads, and you will not regret it. That's DiveBombIndustries.com, promo code BIGHONKER, all lowercase. This is Jeff Stanfield with Stanfield Hanging Outfitters. You ever have a day where your wife's on your rear end or your girlfriend? You need to impress her, make her a little happier. We'll take her a bottle of William Chris wine. We're the Sway Rose. The Sway Rose can be found at Bucky's, HEB, Central Market, and Whole Foods. So when you do that stupid thing and you need to impress your wife, some roses and a bottle of William Chris wines. That's William Chris Vineyards, and that's in High Texas. Texas wine, folks. William Chris Vineyards in High Texas, and that's at WilliamChrisVineyards.com. All righty. On this episode of the podcast, we have the quail expert of North Texas, Jerry Copeland. Jerry is here to help explain what we can be doing as conservationists to ensure that these quail see another generation of hunters. He's also here to help guide you on steps you can be taking right now to improve your land and the quail population. Jerry is also a member of the Knox City Stud Farm League. That's our fantasy football league. Jeff made up the name, so if you don't like it, blame him. Uh, Jerry's not a very good fantasy football owner. I beat his ass every year. I beat him like a redheaded stepchild. Of course, you know, he sees it a little bit different, but who are you going to believe? And and later in this podcast, he tells you who he would take if he has a first pick, which, you know, that's pretty that pretty much explains why he's why he's so terrible. So 
we do talk a little bit of our of our fantasy football rivalry, but mostly we 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 talk quail hunting. Jerry's got this quail thing figured out. He knows how to grow quail and he knows how to improve property uh, to maximize the quail numbers. So if you're a quail hunter or if you know a quail hunter, this one is just for you. So without further ado, here he is, the man and the worst member of the Knox City Stud Farm Fantasy Football League, Jerry Copeland, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Big Honker Podcast. I'm Jeff Stanfield. I'm Andy Shaver. Happy to have everybody along. And we have a special guest in Studio A today. We have Jerry Copeland. He's a county extension agent for the state of Texas. He's a friend of ours. He is a year-long, well, I'm trying to think of the word I would actually use to describe Jerry, but he donates usually annually to us through our fantasy football league. (laughs) Correct, Correct, Jerry? Yeah, we can talk about that a little bit later, but yeah. But didn't you... uh, you set a record this year for the most points ever in our league, I think, the most wins. Probably, and had a pretty good streak going, yeah. too. Did you beat Andy again this year? I did. Okay. That's that's the most important part in our league. Am I right? You're right. For everybody that doesn't listen, I mean, that listens all the time, they know that we do fantasy football, and we know Andy talks a lot of shit. Uh, all the, nonstop. Uh, yep. And doesn't ever come through in the money. Never. never. Bullshit. You've I came through won. in the money, and Jerry did not this year. Yeah, Jerry did win some money this no, year. No, third you place, baby. Be, I thought you got fourth. Uh-uh. I beat Webb. Oh. But Webb he still finished ahead of you, though. Again, I won my bracket. Andy's the only person. Andy I know. won the loser yeah. bracket. <laughs> Andy's the only person I know that gets in a fantasy football league, and his goal is to make the second bracket. He don't even think about trying to get in the first bracket. <laughs> the second bracket paid more for what I was doing. Excuse me. Listen, <laughs> I realized at an at an early point in the season, probably day one, that I I fucking lost Rogers. I lost Odell Beckham. I mean, what more? What else do I need to overcome? You drafted Andrew Luck. In there you go. That's what I've been thinking about this for weeks since yeah. you invited me on. Like, okay, Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck jumped up, me. crippled Andrew Luck, and you will draft him again this year. You do every no, year. I will not. You might as well get Eddie Lacy. Is he still playing? <laughs> <laughs> so listen, I realized when I lost my two stars, my two of my first three picks went down in a heap of glory. Okay, so I realized that at a very early time in the season that I'm not going to be able to compete with the big boys. So I'm better off to go into the consolation bracket and win it, which I did. For the first time ever. Usually you That's because I'm normally nothing. playing in the big boy bracket. No, you're not. Bullsh- I Look- drafted David Johnson, and I didn't whine. He was the first player taking the draft. I didn't whine. He got, he got two minutes into the season. I lost You him. lost one and player. And I lost Allen Robinson. You lost one. Listen. I lost two. You lost a stud running back and a two or three wide receiver. Let's call it what it is. Allen Robinson is no is no. He was the number one the year before. Fuck. All I know is that I've 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 got my name on a championship trophy and you don't. So that's that's pretty much enough said right there. 
So, anyways, let's talk something besides fantasy football because we will have that show coming up in about six weeks, and you can all listen to all of Andy's bullshit then. When are you going to start? When are you going to set the draft order? That's what I was because I look back on records and uh, last year you set it end of June, first of July, probably about the same time. Okay, well, we need to start talking about that. Okay, we've got. It's like more. two weeks away. I've got. I've got one person I need to invite for our last open spot. Somebody I think will be good for us. So, anyways, we won't talk about that on there. Jerry Copeland. You're going to talk to us about quail. Yep. You're the quail guru for Knox and Haskell County. Uh, pretty much, I guess, for what, Knox, anyway. What, what, what's it looking like right now for the quail hunter? Not bad, not bad. Uh, there's more pairs. They're, they're just kind of nesting right now. I mean, we're May and June, that's the hot hot time for them. And I'm, I'm seeing a lot of birds for, for as dry as it is, or it has been, all, you know, since last October, there are a lot of birds a lot of quail a lot of pears running around well, we're typically at the time of year that we're not going to have any more hail storms and we mm-hmm. may have some hail but most of it's going to be just good rain like we've had the last three times correct we have had a little bit of some places have had some hail we've had some wind damage but without hail and if we can keep getting some rains like we got rain coming right now it looks like out west of here mm-hmm. if we keep getting these rains every 10 days we should have a good a good quail crop. Yeah, I mean the the key uh, as far as rainfall. I mean it's 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 the May, we need those May and June rains because that brings your uh, your weeds and those weeds will bring uh, and then you'll have some bugs uh, when those baby quail hit the ground. Those uh, grasshoppers and whatever ever kind of insect out there. I mean that's like an MRE for a baby quail. If you don't right. have insects, you don't have the, the baby quail can't. They can eat the seed like mom and and dad do, but. But those those uh, those insects are really nutritious. A lot of protein in them, and and that's what that's what really makes or break a season. So is I'm feed. Pre- I'm pretty dumb about all this stuff. Is what you're going to talk about today uh, with quail? Can that apply to turkeys? Because we have a lot of turkey hunters that listen to this. Somewhat, somewhat. I mean, it's, but all, it's not. It's not going to be universal. It's not any of these upland game birds. Any of these things. It's it's all about habitat. Uh huh. You know, uh, it's it's in it's it's nesting it's nesting quality and quantity. I mean, if you've got a place for them to have, place for them to live, a good place for them to live, and mm-hmm. and you they got plenty of feed, the mother nature's gonna take care of herself as far as reproduction. Right. But you, you any weak link, if it's dry, mm-hmm. and we don't we don't have the 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 seed, we don't have the bugs, we don't have the birds. Right. I mean, we always seems a, a quail especially is a really. Uh, He's a an ice storm can wipe him out, but but he's so so prolific that he can bring himself back. He it's a boom and bust population cycle with those things. I mean, you can just a few of them, right? And, and you're back in a, business. Um, because I know that I know that uh, <clears throat> the turkey offspring their their first couple of months they're mostly on on bugs and stuff. Sure. So when you brought that up, I didn't know if. Uh, the rules that we're going to apply for quail could apply to uh, to the turkey population. I think so. I think you're very close. Pretty co- pretty close. Yeah. I would I would probably now think that a quail will have they could have up to three hatches in a year. Yeah, they can they can do it. That third every, that third hatch everything is, has to be. It has a lineup. They can they can easily hatch three, but the but that last hatch, those birds really need to be about ninety days old right. to to make it. And and if you have your last hatch in August. You're probably not gonna. Now, why is that? Just because they're just, just not. So hot? They haven't. They they feathered out, but they're just not mature enough. You right. know, they're because they'll go through another. Uh, you know, they 
as they when they turn into a, a mature bird, that's when they're completely feathered. I mean, right. they got the right feathers to make mm -hmm. it, and and you know they've lived a little bit longer and a little smarter. You right. know, but I uh, didn't I didn't realize this. Ron was actually telling me, and I think you told Ron this uh, that the the male sits on the the nest. He helps out quite a bit. Yeah, and the female can go off and. She, yeah, she she they're they're bit, treacherous, man. Bit of a whore. Yes, they will. Well, so, so she's out whoring around with another male while the guy. Yeah, she on the and that's and that goes back to how prolific they are and how well, that's why that's why they're they probably would never go extinct. I mean, we've got places that, that they're just because of habitat. Uh, you'll never see them again. But but if they had the habitat, they'd come right back. So somebody's taking care of the kids at home. She's out hoeing around. Yep, so like make, a Democrat. Welfare check. It's like a Democrat. Yeah. Yep. So. Uh, how many, how many nests will she make before she's done for that? I don't know what the record is. I mean, she she's gonna she's gonna lay. You know, it's a I think it's a forty two day cycle mm -hmm. roughly when she, from the time she starts laying till that till she gets them all laid and and they hatch. Right. I think that's kind of the, about forty two days. So she's she's got to go twenty. Right. You know, twenty to. She got to go roughly thirty days mm -hmm. before she can really. But that's nest how. Again. But that's how they they rebound so quickly is because the male sits on a nest and the hen goes and lays more eggs. Yes. Where a lot of the birds will, the female will sit. Sit on the nest, so. They figured it out. Yep. It, it, it's it's a mother nature just amazes me on how, these things adapt and figure out ways to make it in a, you know. How long was our drought in 2011? When when did we come we out of it? It was a four or five years. I mean, it, it stopped raining in in uh, what nine or ten October of ten, and it it we probably didn't get seven or eight tenths of rain in that calendar yeah. year, and it was a tenth at a time. Yeah, uh, 11, 11 and twelve were were the, the heart horrible. of it. it was and just it was so bad. hot. Yeah, but it broke in fifteen May of fifteen. I can't remember the. I think about May the eighth. Of fifteen is when it broke. Correct. And we had a wet, wet, wet summer. And we had a wet. That was the, that was the first year, first year we rebounded mm -hmm. from from the early nineties. Was when our uh, our population really fell off and it didn't recover. Mm -hmm. We'd have some spikes, right. like seven and eight. Seemed like there were some spikes where it came up, but but it was down until fifteen. Really. And uh, so it was a. Uh, but but that year, I mean, I, what we have uh, twenty inches. Of rain in May and June, something yeah, like that. Yeah, we had more rain in May and June than we'd had in three years, I think. Yeah, it was crazy. And all of those weeds, your, your ragweed, your careless weed, your kosher, everything, even in pastures, because those pastures were so overgrazed mm -hmm. through the drought, when, when it came back, there was a bank of weed seed. I mean, right. you drive down these historic ranches it's on these roads and there would be weeds had taken over and it's just habitat even around uh even in this pure farm country and this irrigated stuff where you'd see a center pivot mm -hmm. you know right in the, right out in the middle if well if that farmer didn't spray those weeds and he like you just couldn't spray enough right but there was a covey of quail in, at every center pivot because mm -hmm. uh, because those careless weeds were just head high Habitat out the wazoo, man. Now is that habitat, or are they eating the seed? Both. But, so it's both. So both. It's providing cover. Mm-hmm. Nesting cover, uh, predator cover, uh -huh. everything. It's. I mean, it's like a uh, little quail hotel there. Yeah, I've said this before on the podcast. Um, 2011 hit. We ran into 2012, and uh, 
so our our turkey and quail population I, I don't quail hunt but i know our turkey population started to decline and so did our predator population and now we're kind of on the uptick of well we are on the uptick of quail and turkeys obviously but the predator is starting to to catch up and it's just it just fascinates me how mother nature can always kind of find that that healthy medium uh as far as you know yeah. what's available when it swings one way or the other I mean, it 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 it's it always finds its way back. Yeah. And that's what's fascinating. Our, our quail numbers are nowhere near where they were at in the 70s. That's what the in old 80s, yeah. And, and see, I never quail hunted much, but I did quail hunt some. But I guess the 70s were the heydays, I guess the 80s too. And and I think a lot of the problem has to do, we farm fence to fence now. Well, we farm, yeah, we farm a lot differently. We farm more corporately. Um, and I was thinking about this week, that this week, uh, you know, probably from the 1940s up through the 1980s and up to that drop-off in 1994, I think, we had more family farms. Right. Okay. You had, on that family farm, they, they grew some cotton. They grew some wheat. They grew some milo. Uh, hay grazer. Maybe. Hay grazer, whatever. But they grew several, had something going all the time, and there was a lot of edge they didn't, you know, it wasn't, uh, there were just a lot of these turn, not so much over here, but but in Stonewall County, there was a lot of turn rows that were grown up in like shinry, mm-hmm. that turned into a shinry mot. Man, you couldn't beat that. And I, I, I want to publicly challenge uh, the notion that Fisher County is the quail hunting capital of the world. I, I would, anybody that knows their stuff would have to consider, the, you know, this probably going to be Stonewall. Stonewall County. Oh yeah, for the, for the entire yeah. state of Texas. I think so. It's it's it was crazy. To, it was it was crazy the amount of birds. You know, I just remember as a little kid, you know, riding along, and and of course she's dead and gone. But I can remember riding along with my grandmother, and she, you know, on a cold and snowy day, and those in maybe a, a sandy road, and it would have those shinry trees. Shinry is an oak, a shin oak. For those of you that may not know. Those things would be so thick that those, but, uh, those birds would p- just pile up there, you know, and wouldn't move. You'd drive right by them and stick a 410 out, sh- out the window and skillet shoot them things. So now, you shot a few quail off the road. I didn't. My, my grandma did. My grandma did because she didn't know they could fly. Now, now, you're, now, you're biased for Stonewall County because now Jerry's nickname is the stud from Stonewall nah, County. No, I ain't my nickname. But. <laughs> the stud from Stonewall. But, you, but you're, from, you're an Asperant boy. Yeah. And so you grew up hunting all that area yes. over there. And the, y'all's quail numbers were significant when you were a kid growing up. It's crazy, and and you just don't see the birds like you did now. Well, no, no, not really, not really. I mean, just but just because of the way we change the way we farm, and a lot of that stuff. Now, here's a, here's an interesting thing about those quail. Uh, I don't know how long they've been there, but I know that probably when we started farming, in you know, I guess those you know people started coming over the 1890s, but but I'm gonna say. In the 20s, 30s, and 40s, we started probably artificially supporting those quail numbers. Right. Okay, then we, then we, we went through that cycle of, of diversified farming, the family farm, and now we're at a, more of a corporate thing or, or we're fence-to-fence or whatever it is, but we've, our, <clears throat> we've, lo- we've lowered that. We've put that population probably back where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. And, and but those things have probably been been there for eons. But here's the thing: those uh, coyotes, all your predators, everything needs a drink of water. They got to go find water somewhere. Well, in that country over there, and this one too, 
I mean, we're in the middle of some really sandy country. There are no, I mean, you can get on the river and you can find some pools of water, but when you get on this top stuff where it's really sandy, it doesn't hold water. So, right. yeah. But a quail doesn't need to go get a drink. Whatever he's eating, he, he gets can get the moisture, moisture wow. from it. And so you get in, the, you can get those things in a situation where there's no predators. Mm-hmm. Maybe some avian predators. Right. But if the cover's there, that's not that big a deal. Right. So, so, so when a drought, so, so he a quail have to can get, succeed. Better than most. If, if you, he could, if you get a timely rain. If you grow, if you grow some feed, and and we're not overgrazed, and they've got nesting habitat. So basically, if anything's green, They'd he can it. eat that, and he can get his moisture. Yep. Wow. Well, even in grain, there's a certain amount of moisture, moisture in, a, in, in, a, in, a, in a in a grain of well anything. There's, but there's right. a certain amount in there that they can wow. they can make it. So, so these are some drink. resilient little bastards, basically, is what you're. Yep. I mean, they just you throw the worst conditions at them, and they're going to find a way. They have, they have been. That's amazing. I mean, they may not be uh, as populous as as you'd like them, but but they can come, they can hang on and come back. So I'm going to ask, do you can you imagine a scenario where the quail is completely extinct? Yes. Really? Yes. No habitat. It's already happened in Southeast Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's happened from. Okay, you've got guys that come from all the way from the Atlantic coast, from the Carolinas. Right. That grew up quail hunting, and they bought properties in West Texas because, because it's still it it's the last it's the last bastion of quail habitat. It's slowly eroded. I mean, you know I, that what's that comedian Jerry Clower? He 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 always bragged that Southwest Mississippi was the best quail hunting in the world. Well, he grew up in the twenties and thirties, mm-hmm. so but 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 there are no quail there, very few. Even in East Texas, if you get south of abilene and and going east you you start that habitat changes and and you just run out of and it's fragmented i mean we have there's more people there's 1500 people a day moving in the state of texas they're not moving to knox city right but they're moving to that i-35 corridor and it's going to encroach a little bit this direction but fragmentation if you if you wipe out the habitat you wipe out the birds could you uh you were talking about the carolinas could you reintroduce the quail into a a a place where the could you reintroduce the quail back over there, or has habitat completely eroded to where you you could, I suppose? And there's some work being done that with with blue quail here. But the problem is you've got to have genetics, the right genetics. You oh, can't okay. take these pen raised birds and do it. One of the things is these pen raised birds are bigger. Oh, okay, and and they just people try it all the time. And I'm not saying that that you won't find some people that have. I, that have had some isolated success, but but Bob White don't respond to relocation very well. Huh. You, you know, when I was a kid, Georgia was a famous place to shoot quail. Mm-hmm. I have I have a guy call me. I have two or three guys call me every year from the southeast, Georgia, Carolina, somewhere mm-hmm. in that area back in there. I guess the Carolinas aren't southeast, but same basic area. Yeah, but close. Yeah, and they'll and they'll they'll tell me the same thing. They'll say, you know, said, do we have uh, you got any quail? And I'll be some years we have quail, but I've seen years where we have we lose all our quail in October. We have a bunch of quail in the summertime, and then quail season gets here and you don't see any anymore. And I'll say, no, we don't have any birds this year. Well, golly, don't y'all have any birds now? And the places up there are all release birds. That's where they hunt now. So all those gentlemen places and stuff, or they old do plantation the, style hunts. Yes, with the do- the horses and the uh, yes, and the, those guys. But they don't have quail no more like they did. No. So this is it for them. And I 
remember 10, 15 years ago, someone from the Texas Parks and Wildlife, I couldn't remember what it was, said that he thought that the Bob White quail would be, wild Bob White quail would be extinct within 10 years. Well, we've went a little bit past that, but we don't see near the quail that we used to around here. No, but, you know, here's the thing. In, in 2015, that year we were talking about uh, the coming out of the drought, I do, every year I do uh, a bunch of work with the uh, – I do quail counts in the spring. I do whistle counts, and that that we count how many roosters, and that all it does that's that's an estimate of how many breeding pairs you'll have. So I'll go. I've got I've got an eight mile uh, transect that I'll that I'll drive, and I'll stop for five minutes or whatever, and I'll count how many I hear in all directions. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so that tells me that's a pretty good indication. A better indication is in September. When I do, a, I've got a 20-mile route that I drive, and uh, in, in you just count. In a lot of it's an estimate, but you're just counting cubbies, or, and you just kind of estimate how many are in that cubby. But but, in, I guess it was 15 or 16, I turned, I called the lady, and I said, you're going to think I'm lying. I said, but, but I counted uh, almost 800 birds on this 20-mile route. Wow. And she said, "Well, it's a little high here in their base, but it's not higher than what they counted at the wildlife, at the Matador Wildlife Refuge. They were bumping 900 on their 20 mile route." She said it was phenomenal. Huh. So, but my, to take that a step further, that was in say 15 or 16. But they, I think they started doing those counts in 1978, mm-hmm. and that was the probably the second highest number ever in that. 20 something year period we used 30 to, something year period this place here at the river had five so, feeders on so, it and i used to see a covey of quail at every deer feeder mm-hmm. which was common and a 30 to 40 bird covey and we get where you don't see you know eight six eight birds you don't see them like you used to but then you'll have a year like you said where it comes back why see, do they disappear why do the birds disappear in the fall yeah. Yeah, dude, I don't know. <laughs> What's happened the last two years or something? I, I, there's, I don't know if they're dying, they're moving. I don't know what's going on, but but in but next spring they'll be back. I know, but every year we don't. I mean, you you understand what I'm I see? About? I see it all the time. Yeah, the bird. I don't know if they're moving or dying. I honestly don't know. How far will a quail travel? I don't know. I'm asking some good questions well, here. Well, you're gonna have to uh, radio call. Yeah, you right. And there is some work on that. that. I mean, you know, I mean. They're not going to move much over a mile. You I know, wouldn't figure average. Yeah. Now they can if you stir them up, they can, you can move them further than that. But they're just their their route's pretty small. Their 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 home range is pretty small. Now that there, I think there was some work in Oklahoma where I think it was in that black kettle grassland up there mm-hmm. that that one moved like thirty miles. It was just a kind of a freak deal. Now, I had always heard that uh, fire ants can dictate uh, your your. That fire ants can move in on the on the uh, the nest, and that fire ants can be a make your population decline. Well, that's part. I mean, I think that's been part of the part of the problem in in the southeast is all the fire yeah. ants. And we now, have some are they, here. Are they invading the nest or are they getting on the actual bird itself? Both, and, really. I mean, uh, they'll you know if they're if they're, that nest is anywhere close to where they're mm-hmm. they'll I mean they'll when those things hatch they'll be on them. Wow. Jeez, and if that yes. and if that rooster's sitting on, they'll get on him too. Whew. You know, so but it's it's mostly getting those young birds. Right, they're wiping out those young birds. Huh. So you said uh, in '78 that your count 
in 2015 was actually higher than it was in 78. Well, no, it was the second highest. Second highest since, since then since in, in, in that 30 okay, whatever. I, I got you. I mean, it was right up there. It was almost like that in 15 we bounced right back to where to the heyday numbers yes. basically, almost close. That, that's where we were. When I first came to Knox City or at Knox County area and started hunting, even back, but even when I was in high school and we used to hunt up here, we used to hunt up north of here. It would have been 84, 85, 86. We'd see a lot of blue quail. Mm-hmm. And then when me and Tony first come to Knox City, which would have been 92, there was a bunch. No, there was blue quail here still. We had yeah. a couple of ranch. We've got a ranch we have now. We had back in then, 92, 93, 94. And there was a couple of blue quail, a couple of small coveys. Yeah. and hadn't seen them, and now they're starting to see a few of them. So they they making a comeback? Yeah, I think, I think they are. And there's also, there's a little, there's some work being done in Knox County to see if we can translocate those. We know that, the, that Bob White, it's pretty tough, but but the blue quail, scale quail, they're, they're trying it. They've pulled some, uh, some birds from southwest Texas, and I don't know if... The, Three or four or five hundred birds, but they pulled them up here north of well in the Truscott area, north of Knox City and Benjamin. Are they doing well? They're they're hanging in there. Are they the scale they, of the blues? They, they're the same thing. That is the same yeah. quail. And uh, but yes, they will. Uh, they're hanging in there. The nest survival in seventeen wasn't as good, but it wasn't as good for any for quail in general. But the first year they had like a fifty or six percent nest survival rate and what they were doing instead of just good? bringing birds what is considered good you said 50 percent is yeah, good i mean you know if you can get 70 percent it's that's about as good as you're gonna get right probably but but they're taking these birds instead of just catching them in sanderson or wherever and bringing them up here and dumping them out they're doing a soft release they keep those those blues in a uh oh you know like, what do they call them those uh oh it's, it's not an incubator but it's a box like a four by eight box like a whelping box or a yeah, it's a surrogator. I couldn't think of the word, but it's a surrogator. They keep in there for thirty days. They bring them to the site and keep them there thirty days, and they do what they call us, and that's what they call a soft release. Those birds locate there. Mm-hmm. They know where feeding water is. The problem is you got to keep a few predators away right. from them. And, but instead of just turning them loose, they're trying this soft release, and it's a, this is kind of a privately funded thing. You know, a bunch of, from landowners and everything. Uh, trying to put it together but it seems to be seems to be working so hmm. do uh i think the the cotton and all the pesticides has been is the biggest problem we're having with the quail it's killing all their all their all their their food i mean i know you don't want to hurt nobody's feelings you're a county extension agent well i, I have an interesting story about that okay about three years ago four years ago I was invited with about 10 other county agents, extension agents, to sit in on this meeting. And if I told you who it was, most of you would know, would recognize his name. But we were, what we wanted to look at was the effects in a natural setting of the effects of these pesticides, like a seed treatment. Okay, like everybody, most everybody, plants treated wheat seed. Mm-hmm. Well, wheat seed is... One of the quail's favorite foods. Well, this treated seed it has a pesticide attached to it to keep the weevils out of it and other insects from destroying it. Novel idea. Right. But some of those, guess when some of those came out? When the quail started dipping. In about 1994 was when one of those was introduced. Okay. All the quail. Okay, I, I'm, I'm just... No, maybe these are just facts. These, I mean, this, this is, yeah, this, these are the numbers. Yeah. 
so I got invited to this meeting. What we want to do was look at that in a because we know in a in a lab environment, if you if those birds consume that pesticide, it doesn't kill them, mm-hmm. but it affects their reproductive gotcha. uh, tract. It weakens right. it basically. All right. So we wanted to have a control, and the control with no treated seed was going to be done in Knox County, and then we were going to have other counties participate that use the treated seed, and we were going to see. We had a, a graduate student on campus at A&M that was going to take care of all the data control and, and or data entry and, and take care of all that and monitor it for us. All we had to do was turn in the, you know, turn in the information. So about a month later, I called this gentleman. Well, at the meeting, he, he went through it, and then he said, if any of you guys are not comfortable participating in this, afraid, you know, if you're afraid that it could hinder your job or you know, staying employed in your county, I urge you to walk away right now. So I'm like, nah, I, I want to count me getting, in. I want to know. They're not getting rid of me. Nah, not over this. <laughs> but I asked him a month later, I said, what, what's going on? He said, that thing died on the vine. Really? Yep. That he said that 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 program that deal went away. Lobbyist wiped that down. Well, somebody, somebody, yep. you know. I guarantee you it was. But it is what it is, and we have we we kind of had to balance this ag thing and this wildlife thing, and sometimes the politics get involved in money. I guarantee. So. I guarantee it was a lobbyist shut yeah. it down. It was. A, it was. It was a big. Well, I don't know. I don't know that it was a true lobbyist, but but it, right. but. But somebody, a wheat seed some, company, probably, especially somebody, interest group. Somebody, somebody in the in the ag sector, tied to Texas A and M, found out from somebody in the wildlife end what was going on and shut it down. And they said, "Wait a second. And it might not have been an, it might not have been a, a university official, but it was somebody that maybe provided some funds for mm-hmm. some research, right? You know, yeah. on something else, and hey, we might not need to look at that right now. <laughs> so, but I mean, it is a good idea. You know, if you're going to plant a bunch of wheat to just have something that's already got the thing that where the bugs wouldn't take over. Yeah, but that's what the quail depend on. A quail. Well, and go ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, I'm just saying we've one of the things that w- that we've gotten into uh, with agriculture is you's, you's, I'll go back to it. We've lost our family farms, but in the, the reason we've lost it is the our technology has changed, but our prices haven't. Our commodities are right. still yeah. Our commodity prices are basically the same, and, but our inputs. So you, we can't afford to. Yeah. So you know, in corporate America, normally doesn't really care right. what goes on yeah. out here in the country. They, no, they just, don't. They don't. And, and it's so we've got to learn to, to manage that better. Yeah. Um, we got to get this thing back in balance. You know, my grandfather has been a farmer all of his life. Uh, graduated from Texas Tech like I did, came back, picked up the family farm. And he, uh, we've got, in our little area, we've got a ton of farmers getting out right now. And he said, uh, you know, back when he first started, you could have two or three bad years and you could recover. Now, if a farmer has a bad year, you're pretty well done. We're on the. We've had two good cotton years <clears throat> behind us, and we've got right. however many yeah. getting out this year. But he said, farmers today almost, if you're not just one of the absolute, if you're not at the pinnacle, uh, if you're not a top dog in your area, a farmer cannot have a bad year and survive. That's right. So, and that's, I mean, 
I would love nothing more for my own selfish, you know, plant the peanuts and then harvest them and flood them and all that other good stuff. I would love nothing more than to get in the farming game, but I can't. It's just it's too expensive. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then you know you get a what's a track? What's a new tractor run now? Whatever you want to spend, especially if it's green. Yeah, I mean that adds a couple hundred thousand. Yeah, and then diesel. What what was diesel back in the fifties and sixties, Ron? Ten cents a gallon for farm diesel. Now what is it? Two three bucks. Mm-hmm. And three? wheat was three fifty yeah. a bushel back then, wasn't it? Yeah. And wheat and what is wheat now? Oh, it's about five dollars. But it, it right. the but balance I mean, hadn't no the balance it the, it's still not enough. Yeah. It's it's it still doesn't pay out. But I would love nothing more than get into the farming game now, plan everything for the geese and ducks, and just rake them. Yep. But I I can't. So. What can people do? A quail, let's say you've got a 160-acre place of your own. Quail is some, one of the few things that you can actually grow on 160 acres or keep around. Mm-hmm. Can we grow it? You can't keep deer on a 160-acre place. You can just keep make, try to get them to come through That's there. That's right. But, but you can keep quail you can, and dove, and I'm sure they eat a lot of the same things. What can people plant to help with their quail crop? Oh, my gosh, just about anything with a seed. I mean, Milo, millet. Yeah, Milo's a good one. Um, you know, Milo and Millet uh, are good ones in the summertime. Any of those annuals in the in the fall, just like I mean, like I've got 160 acres of uh, of just basically abandoned wheat that I just picked up and leased, and uh, there's quail out the wazoo in that thing. I mean, they're 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 getting fat on that. So give but there's a lot of be sunflowers, anything that the, I mean, anything. It's a seed maker. It's a seed, and but but you also you've also got to have if you're going to grow them, if they're going to live there, they've got to have a habitat. Mm-hmm. So uh, that and that's the thing. They need a. They like to. They like a as far as nesting, and that's the big. It's probably the, one of the biggest things is nesting. But ne- they need something the size of. I don't know. They need bunch grass. Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes that's hard to come by right. when you're when you're with conventional farming, or, because you you wipe everything out. You either spray it or kill it or, or, or plow it up, mm-hmm. and 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 so they do better. But they don't do they don't do well in a monoculture. I mean, as far as uh, like somebody's got a Bermuda grass patch, you're not going to see very many because that stuff looks Just like so even if it's ten feet tall or three feet tall or two feet tall, whatever it is, it's still it's too thick. They can't get through it. Ah. Uh. So you know they need they need clump mm-hmm. like these uh, love grasses these things if you've got a, a portion of that that's or or if you've got some like on that place of mine I mean it was take it's taken over by Russian thistle tumbleweeds but they're young but and they tender can get through it they can get through them all that shit that we cut down in the winter time to brush our blind is yes. probably <laughs> yeah from quail but it's going to die anyway I mean in the the biggest deal I mean but they those little birds have got to have protection right the big birds do too mm-hmm. but when those little birds hit the ground they've got to be they've got to have and they need uh they need some tall cover too mm-hmm. because if you got them in some low stuff those hawks have y'all seen those hawks this year this this spring the ones uh, that have been migrating mm-hmm. through and they're tearing the quail up well i don't know they could they could, they could. but hawks are a, one of our raptors are one of our main quail predators but if you don't have some tall enough cover to to deter those things that they can they wipe you out are we as bad in west texas as the people in california are with a little smelt in their water 
Are, are we that bad with you think with us trying to keep the quail alive and to make sure we we don't spray a pesticide or do this or that? Is those liberal wackos are out there with their water? No, not don't. yet. But because because here's the thing, and we've talked about this on, on the waterfowl side too. If you we had we went without quail stable quail populations for so long, we lost a generation of quail hunters. Yes, we have. Yeah, uh, my last dog died in 2010, and I hadn't replaced him yet. Right. Um, Our but, pheasant but, business is busy because people got rid of their dogs. Yep. And they want to go quail hunt. They don't have nowhere to quail because they didn't have no quail. Exactly. So they do a release pheasant hunt, even though the birds fly great and stuff. But that's what that's their outlet. That's it. I mean, and the ones that don't do that, they go to the shooting range. And yes. They, you know, they shoot clay targets or whatever. They just they, they just change habits because they had to. Yeah. And so, but you know, here's the thing uh, from an economic standpoint used to and maybe and probably still one quail hunter is worth about 8500 bucks to a to a small town like Knox City or to any town. Well they come to these towns to, to they stay, they stay in hotels or they they eat out. I mean and by the time the sales tax hits and it changes hands it's about 8500 bucks. That's pretty significant for that for is. little guys like us. Yeah. But so we've lost that and to answer your question we're not that that big a Quail is quail is such a microcosm. I mean, it's such a small niche anymore. That yes, they're an important bird, and they're also pretty important as far as uh, habitat. They're kind of like a canary in a coal mine. If you don't, if your habitat's yes. not good good enough to raise quail, your other wildlife is suffering too, most likely. Because I catch myself on both ends of the deal. I think the people in California. Are total whack jobs for letting all that water go into the ocean when they're when they're dying for thirst. Mm-hmm. But they don't want to damn it up because they're going to kill some little minnows. Well, I'm like kill all them freaking minnows and then you got your drinking water. Yep. You know, and I and so, but on this side of the deal, I'm like I don't understand why we can't set aside some acres for quail. So I look at it from different ways, but it's the same reasoning basically. Well, Texas is a is what 98 percent, 95 percent, 90 percent, whatever it is, private. Yes. Private land ownership. Yes. Well, those western states are probably not that. No, no, I, I know. I understand you know. that. I just, I catch myself with the same principles. Oh, I understand. My, my principles are completely different on you're the You're saying subjects. set aside stuff for the quail, quail but, but in the same time, you're like, oh, yeah, fuck, fuck those minnows. fish. Get rid of yeah. them damn things. I know. If I was somebody there and there's 15 minnows they're worried about, I'd, I'd sign all 15 <clears> of the minnows up, throw them away, and say, hey, they're gone. And if quail didn't have such a storied history. Right. Yeah. We, it, would, it would already... We, we wouldn't be worrying about it. Well, it's just like everything else. We wouldn't have game to hunt if it wasn't for hunters. Hunters are the best conservationists in the world. Yes. Bar none. Because we want to make sure every year we can have our, our fun. We want to preserve what we have. You know, and it, we are. And when I was in college at Texas Tech, I, you know, I took Red some. Raiders. There you go, guns up. We would. Uh, Harvard of the Plains is what I call it. <laughs> Harvard t- of the Plains. <laughs> we took. I hope they. Hope they Hang in there. <laughs> They'll win six football games this year. Cliff will get in our five-year extension. Don't worry. I don't even watch. I don't blame you. As long as we go to a bowl game every year, we're happy. But you know, we would. I took those range and wildlife management classes, and and one of the things that they talked about, and this was twenty-five at least years ago. What we we say hunters are conservationists. Mm-hmm. Okay. Back then. That's that was the way it was still presented, but people like John Muir, you know, he was a preservationist. He he didn't want any, you know, any interaction. He wanted it left 
pure. Right. But that was uh, that was that was what they called a preservationist. Mm-hmm. Now the preservationists have co-opted, and now they think they could consider themselves conservationists. Ah, that's their Yo. buzzword. They yeah. they are competing with with us for that term. I mean, mm-hmm. we know that we are more conservation minded than they are. Yeah. Because conservation is a wise use of something. Yeah. You know, preservation right. is we're not using it We're not it at touching all. it at all. You this know. is We're keeping it as it, is. And one of the things they talk about, this, of course, this is a deer. Uh, this is a deer example. But in in Florida, and probably, it's probably down in the glades, but it was, it was some little marshy island area, you know. They did a study on that, and they they, came, they went in and killed a certain amount of the deer mm-hmm. on, one, on, you know, one island or whatever. And then right next to it, they didn't touch them. Well, over a five-year period or whatever that was, the the ones that they didn't touch wiped themselves out with disease. Really? You know, just to, just to something freaky came through there yeah. and killed them all. This other population, and, and and they starved themselves out. I mean, they you know, they, wow. they just they just ran out of resources. But but this the population that they hunted, it was stable. Stable. Still the stable. Whole time. That's conservation. You know, we've 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 touched on this with just you know the duck population, the same amount of ducks. You know, the same percentage of ducks is going to die every year, whether it's hunters getting it or whether it's not enough resources. Uh, you know, when they get back at home or not enough, the nesting ground wasn't right. Mother Nature's got that balance, and what she's is that? What is that number on wild? Fifteen percent on mallards. Fifteen. Yes, if if my memory serves they, me correct, just mortality rates fifteen percent. You, know, you know what it is on quail? Mm-hmm. Let me guess, thirty-two percent. I'm when I. This is the percentage of quail that are going to die regardless of whether you hunt them or not. Or not. It's about eighty percent. Wow. wow. Their lifespan's only two years though, right? Yeah, about eighteen months. They're done. They're yeah. they're done. They they might get through two or three nesting seasons, but they're they're not. That's why. Dove hunting on the mo- those mojo decoys while they work so good. I think the doves about the same thing. Probably, Probably. eighteen months. They don't yeah. ever, you know, you, very seldom do you see, shoot, shoot lots of young birds you know, every year. Teal same way. The blue yeah. wing teal, especially especially blue wing teal. Yeah, they only last about two three years, anyways. But hell, they're here and they go to South America. They get hunted for two weeks in September, maybe, and then nobody hunts them all year long, and then they come back. Yeah. So I, I think that's why the mo- I think that's why the the dove mojo works so well is. Poor little bastards will have, have eggshells on their heads. <laughs> yeah. You know, so they just dive right in. But, yep. I mean, you're not shooting a three or four or five or six-year-old dove. No, you're not getting the smart ones. They're, they're no. You know, you're talking about the blue-winged teal. You know, those those birds go clear to Venezuela for the winter, some of them, and they have to fly all the way across the Gulf of Mexico. A bird's never, ever first trip down, and that's where he goes, and something tells him to go to Venezuela. That's just amazing. And no land. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder how they do that. I wonder if they make the flight in a day or if they... No way. I don't know. Well, until they get to Mexico, they're going to land out. You ever heard of a flock of blue wing till out in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico? How many people are out there to I don't to know. I'm, a, I'm, I'm sure they land. I'm sure they know. land. They fly 100 and something miles an hour. They get up in the atmosphere. They can, you know, I don't know. Maybe so. 10 hours, they can That's cover 1,000. You know, I don't know how far it is from Houston miles. to Cancun, but it's not more than 1,000 miles. It's a pretty good jump, but I, I don't know. I don't know. I never thought so about that. So eighty percent are gonna die. Roughly. Whether, yeah. Wow. Resilient little bastards. I mean, yep. they really are. To boom, to boom like that, is just crazy. What about the? I know we're talking Texas quail because that's where we are. But like the quail that live up in the the California quail, the 
little blue and got the little red and the little quill. I can't remember what the damn name of it. Oh, yeah. Um, I wonder if those quill are hitting uh, the same problems that we're having blue with the Bob Whites. Every, yeah. Well, I mean, our, our poor, poor little world is just, uh, I mean, we're just expanding. Our population is growing. we got to find a place to we've got we have to have a place to live and but the country's getting bigger the well yeah the countryside i mean when i say country i'm not talking about the united states growing as a as a whole but the there's less population out In, here where we are now yeah than there ever has been to a point but 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 it's also like like in texas i mean the eastern half of texas is that's they've lost their quail to fire ants and and habitat fragmentation and what that is is those quail don't do well in subdivision right right yeah there's just because the food is not there you know and you know, there's there's a ton of different things why they can't quail need a quail need a wild country we live in the last open frontier from here to canada i mean it's no in the middle of nowhere yep it's from here straight south because south texas i mean deep south texas west south Te- west or, yeah the trying yeah. down there in the triangle right uh, furious area yes, that area freer down back down yes. through there I mean, we've got more birds or better, you know, we're kind of in a, there's always a, a chest thump in between South and North Texas, but we, you know, because there's some his, history there on the, on their cutting, but for, from South, deep South Texas to up through here and I guess all the way, I mean, we've still got quite a bit of, of uh, habitat and people aren't just jumping up and down to move here, but fragmentation is a big deal well quail hunting down there in that that golden triangle that's gonna be t- not golden triangle that triangle there yep. that's gotta be tough gosh mighty thick ass stuff wow yeah there's gonna be some hardy birds poor dogs like, oh i don't you just i don't know you just have to hunt those senderos i guess but mm. you know there's there's places down there that that look just like this we went uh i went through a little program it was called quail masters it was through extension put it on and and if you were an agent it really didn't cost you much to go but one of the places we went, we we, we went to Circle Bar up here at Truscott. We went to a place in Abilene, uh, and one of the other places we went to was uh, was down in the valley or in around the around Freer somewhere. But Hebronville, Hebronville. That's even rougher than Freer. Well, <laughs> part of it, but but it was look, it's identical to this country. Oh, really? It's sandy, tons of grass burrs, tons of nettles, mes- big mesquite trees. I mean, it was. Other than, and the thing about it is, their habitat is better because it, things grow year near almost year round down there. That's why their deer get bigger, the rattlesnakes yeah. get bigger. They just have a longer growing season. But it, but as far as if you got off the plane, they just dropped you out, and you said, "Oh man, I'm in Stonewall County, or I'm in Knox County." Right. It's just very similar. The the the, lot, the price to lease some quail hunt land there is probably a little bit more expensive than it is up oh, here. Oh yeah, because yeah. the deer hunting is so damn high. Yep. Yep. And I guess that maybe has something to, I mean, it may be harder to get, you know, on a lease down there. I mean, it's just so storied, that South Texas hunting thing, you know. Yeah, their deer acres go for a lot of money. Oh, my gosh, it's crazy. Jerry, you got the first pick in our draft. Who are you taking? I'm probably going to take, uh, probably taking Fournette again. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> so you take Fournette overall, the number one pick in the whole draft. <clears throat> they don't have a quarterback still in Jacksonville. They didn't have one last year, and he had a hell of a year until he got hurt. And Robinson got hurt. Yeah, He's a stud. Fournette's yeah. a stud. So that's, that would be your first pick? 
I guess. I mean, I was just off the top. I hadn't even really thought about it. You better start. It's time. It's time. It's time to start thinking about it. Training, hey, hey, here's training camp is a couple of weeks away. It is, and I've got to brush up because here's here's another thing that a lot of people don't know, and I kind of want to dispel this. I, I want to get it out there because I'm I'm a little bit embarrassed by it, but 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 I am Andy's fantasy football guru, <laughs> <laughs> and but it's to the point. You know, we've got to we're going to have to have a talk about this relationship because my my wife is is. She's questioning my sexuality. She saw how nasty you were to <laughs> because me Andy year? was like nonstop texting all fall. She thought her oh, gaydar fuck. was going off. <laughs> Not one text you know, message. For, for people that are listening here, Jerry went to North Dakota with us two years ago. We went there, went waterfowl hunting. We went for a week, and Andy talked shit from the minute we left Knox City till yeah. the time we got to Napoleon, yeah. North Dakota. That's because Jerry was like zero and seventeen when we left. <laughs> we play <laughs> we, we play triple headers. In our fantasy league, so there's there's three games every week, and it kind of like the quail. You can boom real quick, and you can bust real quick when you're doing those triple headers. So uh, you're really not out of out of the fight until later in the year playing those triple headers like we do. So that's how Jerry was so far behind. As a as a county extension agent, would you say are the the doves looking good? The the dove and all the food we got from think, um, yeah. a lot of a lot of wheat's gonna be not cut this year. Well, we cut some, we bale some. There were some abandoned, you know. Right. But where where it's not, I mean, even though they did, there's there's a lot of farms kind of idle. Even some cotton ground. I was looking around this morning. There's some cotton ground that has not been planted yet. But there's and there's some weeds coming in that. I hate cotton. I'm telling you right now. I know farmers love it to plant it. I just I hate that stuff. They don't feed nothing. It don't it hunt for the hunting. In I the know. Hunting industry. It, it's it, yeah. But you know, I mean, it, it has some value. I mean, it's. We just need a little more diversity than we've had. That that here. is the uh, diversity, I guess, is the word. If it's and the rotation, bigger you are, the bigger farmer you are, the more diverse you better be. Yes, or you're on your way out. Yeah, one, if you're depending on one crop, one crop every year, right? Or or you know, because this cotton and wheat deal is is pretty scary. Cotton well, looks good right now, yeah. prices, but a wheat. I've got I've got some people that are kind of optimistic, but I, I'm not because. Everything that we do, mm-hmm. our technology, China, India, everybody else, Russia, they 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 take it, they take it and do something with it, you know. They compete with us and do it cheaper. Yeah, so. Trump's gonna fix all that. We're oh. going to fix the trade with China. All that other good we stuff. We've yet to have someone sit in with us that wasn't a Trump supporter. Jerry, I am. I know you are a Trump supporter. I'm yeah. saying that to not be a oh, Trump supporter, yeah. but it's because we're talking to people that have guns, yeah, believe in God, and have jobs, and that pretty much takes you out of the three people that, if you're not one of those three, why would you not be supporting? Him? That was another thing that we got into going to North Dakota. Jerry was not always on the Trump bandwagon. I was not. It was uh, matter of fact. I think it was just me because Zach was going to North Dakota. It was Jeff, Jerry, Zach, and myself. Zach was a, a cruise supporter also. I was the only one there. I was taking grenades the whole way. So that's why I had I had to talk about fancy football because I was going to get killed on politics. Well, Zach made fun of Jerry ever right fast of Jerry's life on the trip. You know, made fun of him being bald, made fun of him for having the college degree you have, made yeah. fun of the school you went what can, to. What can you do with that degree? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, Walmart were ta- we, we were yeah. talking about somebody else. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's got some shitty ranch management degree or something. Working work a feedlot? Jerry. Yeah. That's my degree. 
And then we saw some bald head guy walking down the deal with it. It's like, look at that guy bald headed Jerry. God damn Jack, I'm bald. <laughs> Jerry had a hat on. You can't tell Jerry's bald until he takes his hat off. It's quite startling the first time you notice it. Well, it's quite startling for me when I lost it. <laughs> I went home after graduation and washed my had took a shower, washed my hair, and my hair fell out. Well, what it seemed like. Was there any stories you'd like to tell that because I know a good story about you, but I don't know if you want to tell because your wife might be listening to or your son. Oh, no. Don't tell any of those. Okay, okay. Um, you know, another thing, too, our last three podcasts, we've had rain. Yeah. Wow. Big rains at night. It's looking good. We got a good th- we got a severe thunderstorm 50 miles west of us coming due east right now. Really? At 40 miles an hour. Hope it don't fall apart. I told Josiah earlier when we were headed to town, I said, we're going to get another one. So now you're getting in the lamb or sheep business? Yep. You can you can make more money per pound of, of sheep, right, than you if can, you can cow? Keep- if you can keep the coyotes and the worms out of them, uh-huh. and keep the nutrition right on them, they'll work. Yeah, it's better it's, than cattle. It's yeah, it's the best. It's the best one. It, they require more management. More there's more labor in them really? than than probably most. I don't know that we'll ever take over the world in sheep production here, but but just from the amount of forage that we can grow mm-hmm. with with not a whole lot of rain, mm-hmm. I mean we can we can do some. We can run some serious numbers, but I just don't know that if it'll really ever catch on because right. it's kind of like a cotton farmer, or it's it's kind of a tradition, or a grandpa did. That's all we that's all sure. we do. We yeah. just grow cotton. We, grow or cotton. we just grow, grow cattle. You know, we sell. We got cows and calves. That's just what we do. You know, you do it until you go broke. Basically. If you're not diversified, you fix to go broke at some point. Because. I guess when that bad year happens, if you're all in on cotton and then that market crashes or you didn't get enough rain or whatever, yeah, I mean, all your eggs are in one basket. Well, where used to, if you used to done, there were some direct government payments. There were some, The insurance was a little bit better deal, but, but we've paid so much. The insurance has paid off so much right? that it's kind of those yields are down and it's expensive and it's just rough. To, you can't really depend on that stuff anymore. I know, Go ahead. I know a guy... Uh, farmer out here went to go get funded and it and the bank wasn't going to fund him unless he put up put up everything his all of his all of his equipment put land. up land land everything if you don't i'm surprised i'm surprised his equipment wasn't already yeah. most of you guys are i mean that's they're just over leveraged it's just mm. we've it's, we've it's, just been headed this way for 10 so where do you see where do you see the agriculture i mean are you are we going to run into less family farms and more corporate farms we're gonna we're gonna see. We have basically just family farms are non-existent anymore. Right. I mean, there's a few, but those are probably stabilized. What you're gonna see now is a trend probably away from row crops. There'll be there's always gonna be some cotton here. There's always gonna be some wheat, but we're gonna see lots of acres go. They're gonna be idle first, and then after they're idle for a while, they're gonna sell, and you're gonna have a a bunch more absentee landowners mm-hmm. buying this stuff up because even if 900 to a thousand bucks or 1200 whatever it is it's still cheaper than than real estate in dallas right but it's a good place to park money so you're going to see uh landowners uh, absentee landowners but still there's not unless we see a big turnaround in commodity prices where you're not going to see some of these acres come back into production they're either going to be stay idle or they're going to go into some kind of improved grass or just mother nature takes her back and mosquitoes take that's, it over. that's what scares me just because we're dependent on the agriculture 
here and the 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 notion that there could just be idle idle farms but i mean and i guess you're talking kind of nationwide basically you're not just talking well i think so but 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 this part of texas is you know we've got a little aquifer and we've got a little water Mm -hmm. but y'all know as well as i do we don't have the water we had well in in 2011 the in 2011 they said that we used five years worth of water basically so amazing uh, you know we just don't turn our pivots off anymore i mean 15 and 16 we got a little reprieve and a little catch up because that's a shallow aquifer and it recharged a little bit but at some point that's a it is a shallow aquifer one of these days we're going to run out of water you know you you talked about us changing crops and being more diverse had a guy call me the other day and he was up in minneapolis and he's wanting to know if i knew he'd hunted with us before when if i knew anybody down here that sold goats he was wanting to buy 18 wheeler load of goats i go i i can find you a guy's number or two you know maybe that does it i don't know anybody's got goats like that. I was like, what are you going to do that for? He goes, oh, man, I'm going to sell them to them at Ramadan or whatever. You know, when it's over, it's a big feast. He said, the Muslims will buy them like crazy. And I've noticed we're starting to farm for different ethnic groups in our country more than we used to. Well, And there's, there's a small, slight trend back towards, away from corporate, you know, for for the past fifty years, we grow our wheat, and we grow our cotton, and we take it to the gin, and we take it to the elevator, and we just dump it on the, you know, the and the Chicago Mercantile, Chicago Board of Trade tells us what they're going to give us for it. Well, there's people in all those major commodities. There's somebody at the top that can close that valve, and they can make money coming and going. We only make money if the price goes up. Mm-hmm. They make money on a rise and fall. <laughs> I mean, there's some marketing strategies that you can, that even a small producer could do. But, but in general, that the, that market, those things are controlled. And, and but there's a trend away from that to these niche markets. To like, you know, like I, you and you and Jesse are pretty health conscious. You know, they want to let want to let me give Risa sucker. Yep. You know, no sugar. <laughs> you know, not no sugar. Listen. <laughs> We can, that can be a tangent for another day. <laughs> we limit his sugar intake. No, but anyway, but it, but the point is, I mean, a lot of sure. more and more people are becoming more and more health, health conscious. conscious, and there are things out there. So there's a trend to to cater to that, and it's a smart move. On, you know, and this is this is crazy, but I, I people have asked me, what can we do? I said, well, won't you, won't you put you up a greenhouse or a high tunnel on? Instead of trying to water 120 acres of cotton, divert that water over to that to those dry to those dry corners and put you up a little greenhouse and grow you some strawberries and sell them for four dollars and fifty cents a pound. Yeah. Instead of and do that at a farmer's market in Lubbock instead of dumping it on the cotton on the you know and I'm go to a free trade where you got a free chance to get your exactly. money. You know, there's some is there risk in it? Absolutely. But it but do you have as much invested in it as you do in 160 acres of cotton? Probably not. And you can do them organic and even make more money. There's just yeah. If you're if you will do the homework on the marketing side of that, th- there's some upside. You can make some money. That's uh, one of our sponsors is uh, is a vineyard, and they're up on they're up in the plains. And they were telling Zach last year <clears throat> used to be one of the biggest peanut producers in the Panhandle, and they switched everything to grapes. Mm-hmm. And you know, well, making, and making good money exactly, and and there's uh, that that's 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 the way we need to go. There's a guy uh, I visit with him on the phone. He is 
in the I think he's out in Gaines County. I guess that's going to be La Mesa. Uh, not La Mesa's Dawson County. But anyway, but but I think they've converted all of they've taken all their cotton acres out. Mm-hmm. And they've got pivots on it, and they put up uh, four or five wire hot wire fences, and they're running cheap just like I'm doing. Really? They've, and they're they've gotten out of the cotton business, but yeah. they're getting uh, they're getting out of those commodity. Right. Bo- uh, Markets. Well, and, and what, like you alluded to earlier, what what kills you is you got somebody else telling you what you're going to sell it at. Yep. Where if you go to a farmer's market, you can set your own price. You can. I mean, it's, at least you have something to negotiate. Yeah, you have a place to start, right. and you know what you've got in it. You know, right? I mean, you do with the with the with traditional agriculture. You know what you've got in it, and the banker knows what you've got in it. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, this it's a better deal. I mean, you can get some real price discovery there. Right. So sum it up for us, Jerry. What do people need to do to have a good good quail crop this year? And wh- one thing I was going to ask, when do quail hatch? You said they can do three times a year? Yeah. If, ha- every, if the stars align, you can, do, you can have three hatches a year. Well, they started, they started getting together in April. Um, in the next couple of weeks, surely by the 1st of July, you'll see some baby birds out. And that'll be the first hatch of the year. Yep. And then again in August and September, maybe. You might, so July, you might see July and September August. would be more safe. Yeah, but that September don't don't count on it. Really, you know, just so basically one hatch. It's it's one mostly. You're gonna that second one is probably because it's hotter than fire mm-hmm. in July, right? And and sometimes that your your canopy gets kind of withered and dry, right. and yeah. and then we've run cows through there and grazed that grazed that off. So the habitat's not exactly there. So first part of July. How many, what's the average nest size? Six, eight? About eight. Eight. You know, anywhere from eight to 20. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think eight to 10, 12 birds is about what you'll normally see. If it's a bad year, I mean, if you if you start seeing six bird coveys, mm-hmm. don't book any quail hunts. <laughs> <laughs> you so, know. so what can people do? What do they need to plant? Just anything with a seed in it because they can get the moisture. Well, out of it. plant or don't plant. Sometimes not planting anything. Just let it grow. grow let wild. it grow or run it. Like even I've seen them do this on in, on ranch country. Mm-hmm. Just run a disc through it, and you'll get sunflowers. You'll get ragweed. You right. get sometimes just just disturbing the soil mm-hmm. is is about as is about all you need to do. If you, nesting cover. And feed. I mean, if, if you take care of the habitat, man, you, you'll have some birds. All right. Well, I appreciate you having off. If anybody wants to buy any sheep, you're in the sheep business. Oh, now, yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> not, I'm not, I don't have any ready to sell just yet. I'm, we're still in the, the growing phases. And you heard it here first. Jerry is going to take Leonard Fournette if he has the very first pick. Most in likely. The 2018 Fantasy It will not season. be Andrew Luck. <laughs> so... If, if uh, anybody needs to get a hold of you, have any questions on this, they can get a hold of you at the Knox County. The Knox County AgriLife Extension Service Office. What's that phone number? 940-459-2651. Okay. And ask for Jerry. Yep. Or the Knox, from Knox, Stonewall Knox County. Extension and 4-H website, or Facebook page. Yeah. Probably about, be about as easy. Jerry, I, I appreciate you whoa, 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 coming hold on, out hold on, here. Hold on, hold on, before we get to the stop. I was point. telling Jerry I, how much I appreciate well, I appreciate him, and I'm really going to appreciate cashing your check I at the end of fantasy football this year. <laughs> You've never cashed in, buddy, so don't talk Listen. like that. So, Jerry, I'm going to talk to you about I want to change subject real quick. Okay. You also take care of the 4-H youth sports yep. and shooting. Yep. People didn't get the kids involved shooting, don't they? They do. How many kids y'all got out shooting right now? Uh, well, we just finished up, but, you know, I think this year we had – 
12, 15 kids in the county. Most of those programs that they have, there's grants. It don't cost the parents a lot for the kids not to do a it, lot. does it? Not a lot. Just a little bit of time. A little bit of time. If that's the big deal. It ain't. It, it, it's not your extension agent's job to, to do it all. No. But, Jerry, you raise a bunch of other people's kids a lot of times, oh, don't you, you? You end up doing it, and it's a fun job. But the problem is if you don't have the, the adults, if you don't have the volunteers helping, you can only reach so many kids. That's right. Tony so. said something the other day. We were working on a fence. He said parents don't have time to teach their kids. But my argument, it, parents aren't any busier than they were 30, 40 years ago. Well, here's the thing. And and I and this is a I, I use this example all the time and this is a this is related to 4-H. When I was in school at Aspirant, every every class from the third grade to the twelfth grade basically had its own was its own group. Now mm-hmm. that now we're all like Knox County, we're just all one group right. of all ages. We meet we just meet together. But when I was in school, every class had its own, and there were about four mothers mm-hmm. in each class that made that thing. Right. And we went to State Roundup every year. We, I mean, we were very active, had a lot of stuff going on, livestock, horses, and everything. But mom went to work. I mean, mom had been going to work since the late 60s and 70s. But right. in the 80s, our the economy got just right or got just wrong. We, they sure enough entered the workforce. Right. And and that we've lost them. And, and now a lot of our parents, the the, the – the the folks that are involved in our our 4-H program, most of them are teachers, so they don't have time. They, they're with the kids all day anyway. Right. But, so it's the the typical room mom of the 70s and 60s is working now somewhere else. You bet. Yeah, you, there's not very many moms at home anymore. But in the 80s, they the moms were working back in the 80s. They, they were, but that was the kind of the start of it. I mean, they were, but it was it was different. It wasn't. They I weren't just, working quite as much as they are life now. Life in the seventies was a lot different than it was in life in the eighties. I, yeah. I think the parents' priorities are, are screwed up. Well, now. it's right here on this phone. I understand that, but you know, Tony, Tony devotes himself to softball and anything his daughter wants to do. Yeah, he's all in on it. And that's the but th- their parents. Yeah. Most of the parents aren't like that. Nope. Somebody else can coach. You know, Kylie. Kylie want, Tony's uh, Tony's daughter wanted to play soccer. Tony organized a soccer league. Yeah. Most most parents just. Well, we'll let somebody else. He's take a good care parent, and there's not a lot of them out there anymore. And that's a shame to say, but you don't see very many parents that get involved. I coach you guys in every sport growing up, right. everything, and did everything y'all wanted to try to do. And that's why Tony is. And a lot of that stems from my dad coached kid baseball and us growing mm-hmm. up. And did you know, and Tony can't find anybody to help help coach softball this year. It's a it's a it's it's a horrible problem. It's a but I, it just it's a sad deal that you know. Everybody bitches about the the kids that are being raised right now because they're so dependent on electronics and iPhones and iPads. My argument is, is kids don't know any better. They're going to know what the parents. If teach you give them. them the digital babysitter, they're going to take it every time. Take it, yeah. But you, but you, you, we need kids to get involved with 4-H. We need Boy Scouts. We need, and I know all the shit's you going need, on with yeah, them. But either. we need that stuff in our society for these kids to learn some discipline. And some things different than what's on it. Okay, I, I was listening to one of our uh, state senators. He, you might have been in the room, but he he did one of his little town hall meetings, and where they were talking about the education system in the state of Texas, mm-hmm. and you know they were griping about, you know what's what's the deal? Why is Texas forty ninth and this whatever? You know, and and this guy says, you know, the problem is because we're not teaching kids he said because the teachers are having to deal with things that mom and dad should be taking care of at right. home yeah it's discipline problems it's you know kid wetting his pants or whatever we're, try- we're trying to you know rationalize and, and 
and work with these kids, and, we, and we're not teaching them to read and write. Yeah. And and so that's what's wrong with our public education system. I don't, I don't think that there's enough one-on-one time when the kids get home. No. Nope. Because the parents are fucking tired. Parents want to get on Facebook, scroll through it for two hours. And, I mean, you think about a, a, a working-class family where mom and dad both work. They both get home at 5 o'clock. Dinner's got to go on at 6 or 6.30. You eat, so now it's 7. Just like always. Yeah. 7, 7.15, you're done cooking dinner. Now you got to clean up dinner. You know, by the time kids go to bed at 9.30 or whatever, you got about an hour with them. And at this point, mom and dad are tired, and they just want to sit out and sit on Facebook for that one hour. Yeah, everybody wants to unwind. Yep. The, uh, I know a lady that's a teacher in Wichita Falls, and she made a comment a couple of years ago that when she first got into teaching business, she taught. She taught what was she was supposed to teach. They had class parties. They had extra time to do stuff. She said, now I've got mom that's a stripper. I've got dad that's, you know, that comes up there trying to take his kid out of class when he's not supposed to. And she said, every day I have to deal with the social issue with the yep. kid. That before you never had to deal with that. It was just it wasn't it didn't come to school. But now the school gets in the middle of all these social issues with all these children. And she goes, kids aren't raised like they used to. She goes, your kids are lucky. They have a mom and a dad in the house. They have stability. They have a hot meal every night. They know where, you know, nobody's coming in the middle of the night. Generally know what they can and can't do. Yes. And she said, but most of the kids that she said I teach are not that kind of deal. She goes, you know, my kids live a different life than the ones I'm teaching do. Mm -hmm. The ones I teach, they don't live that life. There's so many distractions. But she said, I spend an hour or two a day taking care, putting out fires have nothing to do with my classroom. Yep. Teachers are babysitters nowadays. I, and I, my mother was a teacher till the day she died, and and I, and I don't have a negative thing to say about teachers, but the system that they're that they're having to work with is 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 broken. Oh, it's not fair for the ladies. They're hardest, or ladies and men both. Teachers are the most underpaid people in America. Yep. And it's a shame that and hunting guides and outfitters, <laughs> <laughs> county agents. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Anyways, I appreciate you coming on. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. And folks, if you're enjoying our podcast, we have all kinds of different people on here and we're going to continue that way check out some of the older podcasts you can find on itunes on spotify that's the big honker podcast if you have any questions you can email me directly at goose at west w-e-s-t-e-x.net and that's the stanfield hunting outfitters email and look us up on stanfieldhunting.com you can look me up on instagram if you want to at using Jace, my pictures though jay stanfield 68 you, andrew you can get it when it comes out on Instagram at Andy underscore Shaver because he's just going to recycle my shit anyway. Well, God bless you. And at the end of this week, we'll have another special guest. We're going to have the Coyote Man Clay Reed on here again, and his, his podcast will be out on Friday. So, anyways, thank you for tuning in. I appreciate you so much. God bless you, and have a great week. Go Leonard Fournette.